Do you want to maximize your success with NCUA? Join Mark Trichel as he shares with you the insider's view on passing your exam with Flying Colors. The With Flying Colors podcast is sponsored by Credit Union Exam Solutions by Mark Trichel. If you would like to work directly with the Credit Union Exam Solutions team and receive support to optimize your results with NCUA so you save time and money, visit us at marktrichel.com to find out more. Hey everyone, this is Mark Trichel with another episode of With Flying Colors. I'm excited today because I'm here with Brent Lapp, the Regional Vice President of Strategic Resources Management. Brent, how are you doing today? Hi, Mark. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to chat with you. So I'm, I met Brent recently at the New York Credit Union Association Annual Convention, and we struck up a conversation. I found out he's a musician, among other things, and that he has a pretty good taste of music, in music. And, you know, when I saw his business card, I Googled what he did and it sounded real exciting to me. So that's kind of led to a conversation and it led to today's recording of uh, what's going on at Strategic Resource Management. No problem. SRM for sure. SRM. I'm going to go with SRM. You know, I'm so used to acronyms, NCUA and things (laughs) like that. I'll just go with SRM. So a little bit of background on SRM. SRM has been selected by more than 700 financial institutions to advise in areas such as payments digital banking, core processing, and operational efficiencies. The company has unlocked billions of dollars in value and improved the competitive advantage of its clients with a reputation for industry-leading subject matter expertise, a proprietary benchmark database, and proven negotiating skills. So that's uh, a lot of achievements there at SRM, Brent. And I know that's when we chatted, that's what kind of led me to wanting to, to have you on. You know, I know we're going to chat about some best practices in vendor management and contract management. But before we jump into that, is there anything you'd like to add on the front end? No, I think that setup is really good. I mean, anybody who looks at our website will see a couple different threads of consulting that we provide. They could be fodder for another day, another podcast. But the thing that we are best known for is helping our clients get the best outcomes with their major vendors. A lot of times that that's price and cost reduction. And a lot of times that's improvements to the structure of the contract to, to protect the, uh, the credit union's business interests. So fundamentally, that's what I was hoping to talk about today. That sounds great. So price and contract structure, I'm sure as credit unions are listening to this, they can probably think of some more stories of some contracts and some vendors mm-hmm. that they've had in their careers that they might've been able to utilize some of these skill sets. So let's start with uh, vendor management. Let's jump into best practices. And I think you mentioned earlier, yeah. there's some basic truths related to these things. So Yeah, it's just kind of lessons learned or common mistakes, basic truths, however you want to, to, to position it. But there's a reality. And that reality is that the vendor has more leverage than the credit unions do. You know, they negotiate hundreds of agreements every year with all of their clients. They have resources dedicated to negotiating contracts. They know that there's a limited threat of attrition, that it's unlikely, it's painful to do a conversion. Sure. And they have a broad view of the market terms. So, you know, it's interesting. We talk with clients all the time. And one quote from one of our clients was, I'm going to read this off. It says, I've always been a competent negotiator. I saved my organization hundreds of thousands. Later, I found out it could have been millions. Wow. Wow. So the the vendors just have a lot more leverage than the credit unions do. And 
you know, part of our role is helping to level the playing field. So if you're talking about, I'll just kind of tick off a couple of key problems or realities. One thing that a lot of credit unions don't do before entering a negotiation is make sure that they prioritize their objectives, right? Pricing is one spoke on the wheel, (laughs) right? But there are other critical areas to think about, such as governance, you know, flexibility, obviously capability and functionality, the the development roadmap of the vendor. Are they meeting their hurdles in terms of developing their products going forward? Their service delivery model, SLAs, things of that nature. So kind of less item to think about, number one, is prioritize what's important to you before you begin negotiating, okay? In terms of the second piece, it's a common mistake is not starting your evaluation until it's too late. So if you think about a continuum with the client leverage is at its highest point when you're well in advance of contract expiration, two or three years before contract expiration on a major category, and you're doing a competitive bid, that is where the credit union's leverage is highest. The credit union's leverage is lowest when they've reached, you know, inside of kind of an auto renew window or they're three months from expiration and it's too late, they could never do a conversion and the vendor knows that. So thinking about where you are along that continuum and making sure that you're starting the cycle well in advance. And we like to talk about two years being a good point to do that for a major vendor category, a core or an online banking. In some cases, given conversion windows, it might even be longer than two years. So maybe even longer. And did COVID and the pandemic impact that cycle? It did. You know, we've seen the vendors do a good job with remote conversions, but there's so much thirst for conversion, particularly in the member-facing technologies like online banking, that the vendor community has gotten very busy. And those windows can be, you know, there can be a long runway to get yourself on the schedule. And so two years out, so what is the average, let's say a major mainframe uh, system? Is mm-hmm. the average five years? Is the average seven years? Yeah, we, well, it's five and six and seven years on core contracts. Yep. And it's between five and 10 years on payments contracts. Really? So major card networks. Yeah. So we'll talk about those two specific areas after we go through the, the broad brush outline. You got it. All right. So another one, another problem or a common mistake would be sole sourcing your business arrangements, not using a competitive process. You know, one of the things we hear is, oh, you know, I, I know my core rep, you know, they've met my kids. We've been to a baseball game together. Right. I think I'm getting a good deal. I'm, I don't even need, and you can go by, you know, tens of years, decades can go by without really ever testing the market. And that's just not to your best interest. You know, it takes time and energy to run an RFP, but you learn a lot and you help to optimize your contract structure when you're willing to look at the market. No, when you give that example, I think, I don't know what, read a lot of different books and and a lot of different things online, but I remember reading a study about uh, the fact that people like their doctors with a good bedside manner better than they like good doctors. And the, the whether or not the person is the best doctor is a little bit less relevant than whether or not they ask them about their kids and different things. And, and so when I think about, you know, they, hey, I've known this, I've had this data processor forever. I know their kids' names. They know my kids' names. There's a comfort in that, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily 
in the best interest of the members or the best interest of the credit union. That's right. And, you know, I don't want to make it an SRM commercial, but when we get involved or when another consultant gets involved for that matter, you can kind of remove some of the emotion from it. And it just sure. becomes a, a conversation about business terms and math. You know, yeah. at no point do we ever pound the table. Right. We find that we do not need to get nasty with anybody in order to achieve a market deal. It just you don't have to get nasty. You just have to have information. Right. Right. Very good. Benchmarks. So kind of ticking through common problems, common mistakes, credit unions extending agreements without negotiating incremental value. So what does that mean? If you think about it, when a vendor comes in on the first pass and they're initiating a new relationship, they have costs associated. There's a cost of sales, a cost of acquisition. In the renewal, that cost is not there, Mm -hmm. right? So some of that should, that needs to be known by the credit union. You know, onboarding costs are not going to be there in the renewal scenario. There are signing bonuses often offered when a vendor is coming to win new business that might be overlooked in the context of a renewal. And then there are, you know, operating efficiencies for the vendor that, you know, they get more efficiencies over time from a data and technology standpoint that benefit should be shared with the client. So just being mindful about what the vendor's costs are at the time of renewal and bringing those negotiating positions to the table, okay? Yeah, so so, so the signing bonus. The signing bonus is a discount the credit union gets or it's a, a bonus that the salesman gets or both? Well, no, it's a discount that the credit union gets. Okay. We see them commonly in core and online banking scenarios and we see them commonly in card networks, payments yeah. networks. So they offset other costs and that's a whole nother discussion. But another common mistake kind of in dealing with major vendors is not performing a detailed reconciliation of vendor invoices. So just paying vendor invoices, not, not reconciling, right? So there will be discrepancies in invoicing on any of these complicated vendor categories. And that could be a full time job you know, at the credit union, somebody to reconcile invoices and you can really save yourself a lot of money by doing it. Yeah, I could see that. I have a uh, another story that popped into my head. I knew someone who actually did audits of people who contracted at airline hubs and mm-hmm. they would actually get the bills and the bills would identify employee numbers. They would sort it by employee numbers and find that someone had been billed, the same employee had been billed for Saturday at 10 o'clock. And then that mm-hmm. would be just a flaw. It wasn't that there was anything intentional being done. It was just that there was raw data. They put it together and it was wrong. And having someone at the organization audit it kind of led them to discover that there, you know, there were some savings there and they were being overbilled. Yeah. I mean, if you've got a long, complicated, many, many line items in your invoice, it's a signal that you need to be paying closer attention to it if you're a credit union. So then the, the last kind of general overarching statement about these items is just Folks treating vendor selection as kind of a single event as opposed to an iterative process. We would encourage credit union decision makers to be thinking about kind of a wheel, right, that continually goes around. You negotiate an agreement, you create governance structures around that, you have committees that, you know, keep an eye on things, you're monitoring performance, you know, checking up on SLAs, et cetera, addressing issues and seeking updated proposals, right? So it's not something that happens and is forgotten about. 
and you come back around to it five years from now, it is something that is iterative in nature, okay? So those are some high level, just best practices, things to be aware of, things to be thinking about. In terms of putting a little bit more specificity to it, a couple of the areas where we find big opportunity for improvement are one in the core and everything connected to the core, online banking, et cetera, statement printing, what have you. So everything that rolls up under that umbrella and everything that rolls up into the payments area. So when we talk about payments, we're talking about the front of card network for debit or credit. We're talking about the card processing relationship. And we're talking about the PIN networks that are on the back of cards. When we're talking about core, we're talking about you know, the primary data processing relationship and all of the amendments that typically roll up under that. So the principles that I outlined at the top definitely apply. We want our clients to be thinking about these things two years in advance, two years ahead of expiration, if not more. And you know, how do we help our clients? Again, I want to keep this from becoming a commercial, but to a degree, I have to outline the process. No, so understood. What do we bring to the table? We bring pricing benchmarks, right? We have hundreds of credit union clients from the very large ones down to smaller ones. And we work with all the common vendors. And I, you'll note that I've been keeping the names of, of the vendor community out of the discussion because we're not here to pick on anybody in particular. Yeah. We work with all of them all the time. So we have a really good understanding of what a good contract looks like. We also have ex specific expertise, right? People who we, many of whom we've hired from the vendor community who know, you know, what the tendencies of the vendors are. So you bring that information into a credit union and, you know, it, it takes many different shapes and forms. Sometimes we come in and we help with a competitive selection, documenting user functional technical requirements and going out to market with a formal RFP. Sometimes we are a final check before somebody puts pen to paper on a renewal. But those two areas tend to be ones where we can uh, drive a lot of incremental value, you know, because there's been kind of the same vendors that have been out there for many years. And there's, there's a lot of complexity in those contracts. So when you have a specific set of expertise or a set of experts that can really get under the covers, they can find value there. And I presume it, you can find value in the pricing, but even like, so when you're talking about the contract, they have, the clauses have perhaps indemnification clauses or we'll yep. go to arbitration clauses or yeah. this limits our liability clauses. And you can help credit unions get language in that regard that- Or SLAs. What do appropriate SLAs look like? Because again, the vendors are always going to be trying to structure it in a way that you know is advantageous to them. But based on a broad view of the market, you know we understand we understand what good SLAs look like or tiered pricing structures. You know when you hit certain hurdles from a volume perspective, there should be discounts from a pricing perspective associated with that. Got it. And back back up. SLA stands for. Service level agreements, the commitments for uptime, by way of example. Okay. Our response times for problems. Got it. You know, also, we mentioned earlier, one of the common complaints that we get is that not all vendors always meet their product development roadmaps, right? So if they are purporting to have something that will be available in Q2, you know, that may or may not be the case. So we want to try to put some teeth in that to the best extent possible. Sure. Yeah. So I'm going through a conversion and I'm picking this vendor because they know that 
their next release is going to have some newfangled thing that is really mm-hmm. got me excited. And as part mm-hmm. of the sales pitch, they're saying that this will be this is targeted to be available in a year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That type of situation. Yeah, absolutely. And then there's just there there's specific examples where if you don't have specific expertise, you couldn't possibly get the best economics. And I'll give you an example of that. In the PIN network area, so on the back of a debit card, you have to have, you're going to have your affiliated network, which is ones provided by either Visa or MasterCard. And that's kind of mandated that you participate with one of theirs. And then you have to have an unaffiliated network, Star, Pulse, Nice Plus, all of those folks. To any of your listeners who are interested, the Fed puts out a study on interchange. You could quickly Google it and and turn it up right now. That outlines the discrepancy in in the economic impact for the issuer, right? The credit union is the issuer, depending on which network or networks are on the back of the card. So if you don't have in your credit union somebody who's capable of assessing the merchant mix in your geography and forecasting or you know extrapolating what the economic impact to your interchange will be depending on which network you pick you could be losing out on a lot of interchange revenue there are outside of the general comments about vendor contracts there are very specific levers that can be pulled on something like a, a pin network selection and negotiation to optimize interchange wow that's amazing yeah so so I'd say it's a fascinating area to work in I love it you know we have I often say that we get to deliver pleasant surprises on a regular basis because there are just stones that you, if you don't know what you're looking for, even if you think you're turning over those stones, to my quote at the top, the guy who thought he was a great negotiator and he saved hundreds of thousands and then realized it could have been millions. Right. Those are the types of surprises that we get to uncover for our clients. That's a good day as opposed to you know needing to fund the provision for loan loss because delinquency is going up. Credit unions are always looking at ways to improve the bottom line. And if that's something that you can can deliver on a routine basis, uh, you're going to become good friends with those folks during these negotiations. So that, you know, that's when we met. When I first looked at your website, what dawned on me was back in my examiner days when I was a problem case officer and a director of special actions, and which meant I was dealing with credit unions that either had low capital or low earnings or some, some challenges. And one of those first conversations, particularly if they were smaller institutions, was, hey, you need to go start negotiating with your vendors because you can't, you know, your operating expenses are this percentage, your earnings are this, and we're telling you, you need to make money. Or the next steps is you need to start considering merger. You know, the first step is to go back to these folks and say, hey, if you want me as a customer and you want me to be around, you're going to have to work with me in the short term. So that was what clicked when I first saw what SRM did was because on occasion, NCAA will tiptoe into those conversations. We, mm-hmm. It was easier to tiptoe into those conversations 25, 30 years ago. But, you know, and then maybe at the time there were resources like your organization that could help people. But I'm glad you raised that point. And I suspect that in many or most instances, the vendor community would come to the table in those scenarios. And it's really important to note in this discussion that it's not an adversarial thing with the vendor community. And again, that's why I'm not really naming any names because it's not like they're good folks. These companies are good companies that provide valuable services to their credit union you know, partners. And we play a role in that ecosystem and we play a role 
you know, in leveling the playing field, but it's not an adversarial situation. You know, we have a lot of folks on staff who used to work for the vendors, right? We have a lot of friendships in the vendor community as well. So it doesn't need to be, a lot of times people say, oh, the vendors might be upset when they see our SRM coming. And, you know, maybe they give up some margin here and there, which can be incredibly meaningful for the credit union. But we also play an important role in that ecosystem, right? When we're running an RFP, we might be bringing them to the table right. for an opportunity. We might be introducing them to an opportunity as well. So it's not an adversarial thing. We want our clients to be, we want to protect the long-term relationship for our client with their vendor partner as well. No, it makes sense. So on the payment side, anything else you want to, to bring up on the payment side of operations? And then uh, I'll also throw another follow-up question on that. So you said on the payment side, the contracts can tend to be longer yeah, they do. They tend to be for card networks, you know, five is kind of the low end and 10 being the high end there. And, you know, in many cases, folks are comfortable with that because these are products that they've always offered and, you know, they intend to offer going forward. The economic structure of those contracts gets better, you know, with longer term. Right. Right. So, yes, we are seeing that in the core space, you know, three, five, six, seven years, not typically longer than that. You know, there are obviously instances where that that is the case. We are seeing in the core space a lot of activity in digital banking and a lot of activity in credit unions looking at competitors for digital banking services as everybody's trying to compete on member experience. We are seeing some activity in terms of new cores, you know, not necessarily the traditional big three, but the big three do have, you know, a by far the, the lion's share of the market sure. there, but there are some really good competitors coming into that space as well. Yeah, well that's interesting. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. on the digital banking, is that something, is it 10 to fold? Is it five fold? Obviously doing your banking on your phone is where it's at. And mm -hmm. from five years ago is what you do 10 times more tied to the digital banking side of things when you're helping someone? Or is it less than that? Is it more than that? What are you seeing? I don't know that I would necessarily put a percentage on it that way. I would probably think about it through the lens of, I happened to hear the CEO of Bank of America about two or three years ago talking, and he described Bank of America as a, a technology company wrapped around a bank, I think is the way he, that might have been his words. So if you think about the amount of investment that the big players are putting into customer experience and digital channels, it's just breathtaking. So the credit unions, you know, are operating in that, they're swimming in that lake sure. and they have sure. to kind of keep up. So I think, you know, on, on most credit union strategic plan, you would see somewhere a nod toward improving member experience with digital channels being a huge part of that. That could be online banking players provided by any of the big three or any of the other competitor digital banking providers. That could be bringing other technologies like chatbot, voice automation into the call center, things like that as well. Okay. So just digital touch points, omni-channel experiences, those are all buzzwords that you're absolutely hearing in virtually every credit union strategic plan. Exciting times. Yeah, it is. Now, the other one I'll bring up to, to your comment on payments, uh, this would be actually a great podcast for another day. You got but it. Cryptocurrency is, is one of the hotter topics here at SRM. One of our consultants, you know, understanding that we need to be on top of what's happening in payments has really developed a nice consulting practice in crypto 
and digital assets for credit unions that are interested in offering those products and services to their members. So again, I would encourage you to potentially have Larry Press on at some point. Okay, yeah, um, I'll put I'll make I'll it a, fa- a fascinating space, moving super fast and a ton of interest. And we have credit unions now that we're consulting with on rolling out digital asset uh, programs for their members. Yeah, there's a lot of chatter on that. I read about it a lot in the trades. NCUA has come out with some some guidance indicating that they're supportive of it. I know there's also a desire. Was it kind of, Mark, you keep me honest on this, but was it kind of just let us know what you're planning to do? Was well, that for, just for, the guidance? They went out, uh, noticed a comment on, hey, we want to be supportive of this, what's going on. And then they came out with a, wasn't a letter to credit unions, but uh, they came out with a board sanctioned communication, essentially saying that we're supportive of this, In many instances, it's within the confines of what the Federal Credit Union Act allows, and we encourage credit unions to look into it, all wrapped in in how it can. They don't want credit unions to be left behind in the fintech arena, and they know the blockchain is going to be a big part of that. So they came Mm -hmm. out with communications relative to that. And during the board meeting where they talked about it, Kyle Hauptman, the vice chairman, is a big champion of this, and he mentioned the fact that that there was another similar letter to credit unions that had come out clarifying some things and how he got so many, so much positive feedback from credit unions saying, hey, when you clarified that, you made me realize that the examiners, you know, were going to be reasonable when they came in. So it's kind of is like serves as a beacon that the credit union can point to as look at your board of directors at the agency is supportive of this, which gives them some solace that they know there might not be an an overreaction at the examiner Mm -hmm. level. Mm -hmm. And so I also know that the board is talks about having a new fintech rule where they come out with some more opportunities, whatever that might be relative to the Federal Credit Union Act, because what happens at the board level is the board members will come in and they'll want to give freedom and flexibilities that are allowed under the Federal Credit Union Act without creating unsafe and unsound situations. So staff will push back in one of two ways saying, hey, we've thought of that before, but we can't do it because the Federal Credit Union Act says X. Or staff will say, if we're going to do it, we have to do it in a safe and sound way. But the board members will come in and they'll listen to trades. They'll listen to vendors who come in and say, hey, you know, there's these opportunities out here. The banking world is shifting and either you figure out a way for us to do it or we get left, you know, in the dust. And so sometimes that type of conversation will lead to either a different interpretation, a new interpretation of the Federal Credit Union Act based on the, when the Federal Credit Union Act was written, there weren't iPhones and there there wasn't digital banking, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and one of the discussions along those lines is, you know, you have to have a, under some of the field membership rules, you have to have a branch office in an area to open up, to serve a membership. If you wanted to add Philadelphia, you'd have to have a branch in Philadelphia. But when people don't even go into branches anymore, at some point in time, that loses its relevance. So it's a beacon that the credit unions can use to show that the NCUA is supportive of this. And I think that support is going to continue to come from some of the things that that the board has been saying publicly. So good. Thank you. That's helpful for me to understand your, your comments there. Very good. Well, so Brent, before we wrap up, if there was a question I should have asked, is what would that have been and what would the answer be? Or is there anything else you want you want to share with the audience here before we wrap no, up? No, my parting comment would be if you, the credit union executive, is not curious about, you know, the state of your major vendor contracts, you probably should be. 
Because if you think about it, SRM is a great, successful company. We're in our 30th year of business. And really, the only reason we exist is because everybody's not getting the best pricing. In many cases, we come in and we do work on a pay-for-performance basis where we only get paid if we produce an impact. You know, it, It's obvious that that service is needed because we've been around for 30 years and we've put a lot of money to our clients' bottom line. So if, if the credit union executives aren't curious, they probably should be curious about what their contracts look like. Well said. And only getting paid if you deliver them some profits uh, sounds like a pretty good deal. So, and lastly, if Brent, if someone wanted to get in touch with you or wanted to get in touch with SRM, yep. what would be the best way to do that? Our website is srmcorp.com and you can get in touch with us through the website. My email is blapp, B-L-A-P-P at srmcorp.com. Okay, great. I will put both of those in the show notes and Brent, this was great. I want to Thanks, thank Mark. you for your time. And with that, I am going to sign off. I want to thank the listeners for again, listening to this episode of With Flying Colors. Thank you for joining us on this episode of With Flying Colors. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app to hear future episodes where subject matter experts of all varieties will provide tips on how to achieve success with NCUA. If you would like to learn more about how we assist credit unions, check out our services at marktreichel.com. 